Welcome to Childhood Conversations with Kate and Carrie. Welcome back. Carrie and I are so glad to see you today. We are going to talk a little bit about observation, and we're going to talk about it from a couple of different points of view, how we use observation, how you as a director can use observation, why sometimes observation from an outside source is really important. And then we also want to talk about um, how accreditation programs use observation. So with that, Carrie, give me kind of an introductory, as a director, what do you need to be using observation for? Uh, Hiring. (laughs) Um, Observation should be part of your hiring process. Um, It should be part of assessing in the first 90 days or 30 days or 60 days, however your, however long your um, probationary period lasts, you should be observing a lot. Um, annual raises, giving feedback. So everything to do with staffing. Um, and then also with the kids, developmental assessments, which we've talked about before. And um, when is that child ready to move up to the next classroom? When there's behavior issues, um, I'm sure I'm missing about 20 other ways, but those are the, you know, the main things that as a director you think about are the staff and the kids. Okay, so if I want to do staff or kid observations, do I need some fancy form? How do I need to do this? Well, it depends on if your funding agency requires you to use a fancy form. (laughs) Um, So If you are doing one of the Head Start programs, yes, you need a fancy form. Um, If, you know, you know, there's lots of different situations where you might need a specific form, but for the most part, you need a piece of paper and a writing implement. That's what you need. Um, And probably some sort of goal for the observation. Like, are you looking at guidance in the classroom? Are you looking at scissor skills? You you know, like, what are you looking for? Um, You can use a fancy form. And we sometimes do if we're coming in as outside observers, because they'll be like, we would like you to assess our program. And we're like, great. Do you have any particular focus? And they're like, sometimes they're like, yes, we've got classrooms that aren't functioning well. Which classrooms? We're not going to tell you. Um, other times it's, we're not being able to keep our staff. So we'll use a specific form um, to look at stuff relating to staff engagement. Okay, um, so I have a question. So you have forms. I'm assuming those go on something like a clipboard. But if you don't have forms and you just have pieces of paper, Um, I'm trying to get you to go to one specific point. And there's this little piece of paper you often use. It's about this big. (laughs) (laughs) So so as a director, I, um, one of my tools was um, I would wear a jacket um, and walk around and I would have post-its, post-it packs in my left-hand pocket. um, And when I would see something, this is management by walking around. It's just as you're walking around the program, noticing good and bad things, writing it down on a post-it note, because you don't want to interrupt the flow of the classroom. The classroom is doing stuff. The teachers, the kids, they got shit going on (laughs) and you don't want to interrupt it. So I write it on a post-it and then I put it in the right-hand pocket. Um, That doesn't work for everybody, but it works for me and it's very inexpensive and it's very portable uh, to keep a pen and a post-it in the pocket. 
And then it also has the advantage of if a teacher asks for something when I'm walking around, I can hand them the post-it and the pen and have them write it down. And if they write it in such a way I can't read it or understand it, then I'm not doing that thing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's, let's skip back to the forms and whatnot. So one of the things that I think is real important to do as a director with forms and clipboards is to spend time in your classrooms on a regular basis, not necessarily scheduled, but regular, so that your staff get used to having somebody with a clipboard and a pen taking notes. Um, yep, because otherwise they can freak out when licensing is there or when an accreditor is there. Absolutely. So. Uh, Carrie and I just got done working with some programs recently, and we had this in every situation. And so not only are the kids not used to having somebody in the room, the the teachers aren't used to having somebody in the room. And so it's really hard to know whether or not the behavior you're watching that day is natural behavior for that classroom, or is it they're trying to be on their best behavior. (laughs) So um, as a director, Take an opportunity. I love post-it notes. As you can tell, I try to get Carrie to tell that story whenever possible. Um, hell, we wrote a book by post-it notes. So, um, and if you haven't heard that, go listen to the to the podcast on writing children's books <laughs> because it's a, it's a fun story. Anyway, the other thing to think about is, um, again, giving your staff the opportunity to practice. And it doesn't always have to be you. It can be other people um, who do those observations. So. What are some other ways to get people to come in and do observations? Does it is there an advantage to having staff from different programs, staff from within your own program observing different rooms, you know, I mean, finding me, a friend? Yeah, I mean, secret shopping is great. Um, having somebody come in and secret shop your program. So somebody that your staff have never seen, but that you know, um, come in and walk through the program as if you're doing a tour. Um, you might also hire out secret shopping so that you don't even know that it's a secret shop as opposed to a regular. Um, but the more often people are used to being observed, the more this just becomes background noise (laughs) and they, they can behave normally. I mean, I wish I had known this earlier in my career um, because I had a teacher who was an amazing teacher and I paid for her to get her CDA to go to, you know, the local college and take her CDA classes because that's how she thought it needed to be done. Fine. We can do it that way. Um, and she was great in the classroom, apparently with, you know, the other people who were going through CDA, um, at the college after about the third day, she would talk, but not the first few days. And I had never seen her be shy. I didn't know that was a thing. And then when the CDA assessor came in, she literally did not talk to the children above a whisper the entire time that, the assessor was in the room. So she didn't earn her CDA because the assessor could not see her interacting with the children and assess how she was doing. And that is incredibly sad. Um, And if I'd known that, if I'd known that you can improve people's comfort just by having multiple different people that they don't know come in and do observations, that person would have had their CDA. You know, and um, that's more than, that's probably 
20 years ago that that happened. And it's just stuck like stuck in my caw ever since, you know, craw, caw, whatever it is, it's stuck in something. Um, and so it's stuck um, with you. It has stuck with me. There There we go. go. Um, And so I want all of my director friends (laughs) to know that you can help reduce the anxiety on your staff during accreditation visits, CDA visits, licensing visits, just by getting them used to it. It's called exposure therapy, (laughs) right? Um, But But in a good way. In a good way. Yeah. (laughs) Most exposure therapy is a good way. Um, But also you get incredible feedback about what goes on in the classroom because you can't be there all the time. That whole, while the cat's away, the mice will play kind of a thing. And so if they get used to to observers sort of like their furniture, whether it's you or whether it's someone you pay or whether it's your friends or licensing or whatever, then they will behave normally. So the more often your staff see you just walking through the classroom with a post-it note or a clipboard, the less they're going to perform (laughs) when you're in the classroom. Um, So I think, I don't remember who it was. It was some, you know, big guru in the 70s, I think, maybe early 80s that came up with the term management by walking around. And so I did know about that. And so I walked my program every morning and every afternoon. Um, Any programs that I was at when I had multiple centers, I would walk a program morning and afternoon. It might not be the same one morning and afternoon, but they just got used to, I was just going to wander through their classroom. And sometimes I looked aimless, like I had no purpose. (laughs) Um, And that's fine. And other times I was in there with a clipboard because I was doing observations of the kids or of the staff. So I'm a huge proponent of it. Um, I mean, what about, you know, you've done mostly school age programs. What are some of the big deals that you see advantages of observation or disadvantages of observation with the big kiddos? Well, so two things that struck me or that kind of stand out when I do observations in classrooms is always the children. (laughs) I don't care if I'm doing a two-year-old classroom or I'm doing a high school computer science classroom. Yes, I do observations and all different types of classrooms. <laughs> but that that observation is obviously not something that the kids are used to. So the kids, not just the teachers, and then it causes the kids to be disruptive. So I find it really important that the more people who can go in and do those observations, the better for every teacher. So if you're watching this or listening to this podcast and you are a teacher, ask people to come and observe you for no other reason than it gets your children off the, ooh, there's somebody in our classroom. With that, um, I also really kind of look at, like to watch non-traditional times for observation. So I love transitions, bathrooms, uh, playgrounds, those areas where uh, it's not just watching them teach or engage with the students, but it's how do they manage that downtime or that transition time when they leave a room, usually. Uh, if, even if they're doing bathrooms and stuff, they're smaller kids and they're doing bathrooms in the room or they have a facility where they've got bathrooms in the room. It's still interesting to watch that transition as an observer, because I think that's where a lot of people 
um, find themselves going back to perhaps um, reflexes versus maybe what they were taught. So how they talk to the kids, uh, the things they're thinking about, even things that you might have done pre-pandemic versus what you should maybe still be doing, maybe should have done even pre-pandemic. Um, I'm going to share just a real quick story to give you kind of an idea. Um, we should always be thinking about where the kids' hands are before and after going to the restroom, um, before we wash hands, before snack, and before mealtime. But I definitely see that a lot of us are a lot more aware of paying attention to, did people wash their hands? But we are still <laughs> forgetting about, now that my hands are washed, where do my hands go? So they don't touch me. They don't touch the wall. They don't touch my buddy's hair. Um, they, I don't get on the ground with my hands. So these are all things that it's like, okay, what, so now you mean you you're not that. supposed to do handstands after washing hands for snack? I um, thought that was the perfect time for it. My favorite is I'm going to sit on my hands because I've been told to sit on my hands so that I keep my hands from bothering other people. So not oh. only do I have my hands on the ground, my butt's on my hands. So <laughs> it's like, I was like, I mean, I know why that's what you have that child doing because that child is uh, trying to touch everybody and it's driving their, their, their friends crazy. Um, however, it totally defeated the purpose of washing their hands. If, you know, depending on why you're washing hands, if you're just washing hands to get, you know, crud off because you were doing craft and this is a kid that decided to do, ooh, look, glue and glitter on my hands. Okay, yeah, they can just wash and I don't really care what they do with their hands afterwards. But if you're washing because you're about to go eat or um, something that you would like them to have actually clean hands for, uh, definitely pay attention to that. Uh, also, as an outside observer, anytime that I can find other places to watch other than perhaps the obvious. So if it's a classroom with a window, I like to just watch through the window. Um, playgrounds, can I see that playground from a different room? Um, can I, you know, even if I'm in observing one class, I can still be observing the other one on the classroom or on the playground. So you never know as a teacher when or where somebody's watching you. So, okay, you know, well, whole, yeah. that brings up, are cameras a good way to do observation, classroom cameras? I mean, I know there's lots of pros and cons to classroom cameras. What, I mean, is that a good way or a bad way to do observation in your opinion? Okay, so I think that cameras can be a tool. I don't think like everything else, they should be the only way you do it. Um, I think that cameras are good, especially if you've got perhaps teacher or child behavior complaints that you're not really sure you're going to be able to catch them because they hear you walking down, right? And they immediately change their behavior. Um, and to me, that's when you know that this person knows what they're doing is wrong. Um, if it's they've learned something in a bad way or they're behaving in a way, I like to say that, that, that perhaps maybe their parenting or the way they might respond to their kid if it was their child at home and private versus how they should be responding as an early child care professional with a group of kids, not just their child at home and private. So it's not necessarily that they're being dangerous. Um, they're just being perhaps not the best that they should be in a classroom. So all of those situations, I think, are easier to find when you have the ability to scroll through uh, recordings at a faster speed. 
to find that perhaps there's an incident that you're looking for. The other time it's really advantageous is any sort of health and wellness check. Do you have a, a, a child that's um, accusing another child of hitting them, throwing things at them or biting them? Again, it could be a child that knows when the teacher turns their back, they can get away with something. Yep. If there's a camera, that child's not going to get away with it. So again, uh, kids can be mischievous. And so, you know, having those as a background is always important. When you're dealing with school agers, anybody above the age of five, even if it's adults, um, the more practice, the better, but also know that sometimes kids just have a bad day. So when you're doing your observations, if you're only looking at one day, remember that there is a possibility that maybe it's not always that way. And so I really, you know, I value the programs that go, oh, I'm going to look at at least two days. I'm going to do these observations over two days. I'm going to bring in different people. Uh, again, a program that Carrie and I worked with the most recently um, had us there two days, which was great. So I got to watch a group one day, Carrie got to watch a group one day, then we switched. Uh, we had different approaches to our observation methods. And that also was very helpful when we looked at the long, the long game of a program. So you're not looking at just this one eight hour day that maybe you have substitutes. You know, yep. so that's, again, another thing to think about if you've got rotating staff or regular substitutes, make sure they have that experience as well. Another thing with the video, going back to the video, is that they're usually at about 10 feet off the ground, um, which makes it hard to see a lot of what's happening in the classroom. And they do that for, I, I don't really know why they're all put that high. Um, I didn't really think about it when I had cameras installed. If I were installing cameras today, I would put them at eight feet um, so that they're still out of, you know, gets me a little closer to the action. Um, and I would put two cameras per classroom so that you can see in different directions. And again, when I first put those in, that was a huge, massive investment. And now you can pick them up at Costco. You can do, you can do the nanny cams, the ring cams. Um, yes. And yep. depending on the, um, parent child communication software that you have or point of sale software, because sometimes they get all wrapped up into one thing, you have the ability to have cameras as part of those. Um, that's up to you. Cause again, you have to decide what is the purpose for it? Does everybody in your community have it? And so now this is an expected selling point. Or is this something that you're using as a marketing feature? So definitely know what your competitors have um, or not even competitors. It just be other people in the community because not every program in your community is truly a competitor because you have different um, philosophies. So, right. And different ratios and focuses and all of that. But like everybody has their bias when it comes to cameras and parent access. Some have the bias that parents should have access 24-7 and it should include volume, you know, that they can hear what's happening in the classroom. Other people are like, absolutely not, never. If we have cameras, they are for our training purposes. That is it. You don't get to see it. And we recycle them once a week. So you can't go back and see stuff that happened three months ago. Um, so there's a range, right, with cameras. Um, I have a 10, I'm kind of in the middle. <laughs> um, but I'm not the be all end all of this discussion. You know, it is valuable for us to observe the staff. It's also valuable for the teachers to see themselves. 
And it's valuable for the parents to be able to see what's happening in the classroom, especially I have to say with school agers, <laughs> because school agers have the cognitive ability to lie and they will um, to get themselves out of trouble or to get somebody who's annoying them into trouble. So I absolutely love filming in a school age classroom. <laughs> but again, I don't feel like you need to keep all of that data for all time. Now, um, and there are people who are like, well, back in October when blah, blah, blah of last year, this thing happened. I would like to see it on film. And you're like, I, I don't keep a year's worth of video archives. That's not a thing. We don't have infinite amounts of storage. Save stuff that you think might be helpful later on. Save videos maybe of when a child got injured until that is completely resolved. If you've got film, if you're not filming, then this, we've probably lost you in the last five minutes, right? But it is a type of observation. And again, it doesn't have to be permanently mounted. You can use those ring phone, those ring cameras, put it up for three weeks, take it down. Um, I think that is a valuable tool and it's amazing what technology does for us because we can now do that. You could even put a ring camera at the kid's eye level because they're made to be outside so they can take some wear and tear. All right. So we hope that we've given you some tips and tricks related to doing observations. Uh, we are so glad that you joined us and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Child Care Conversations with Kate and Carrie. Want to learn more? Check out our website at texasdirector.org. And if you've learned anything today, Leave us a comment below and share the show.